So we are coming to the end of our study of Acts and what it is like to live life with your hair on fire. And if you've been reading through the book of Acts, you probably noticed the second really half of this book is mostly stories of people, mostly Paul, uh, taking the gospel out into the world and he just keeps running into opposition. He keeps running into these setbacks. Stuff keeps going wrong for him. Uh, legal problems, uh, he's attacked by mobs and stripped and whipped and beaten with rods. He's wrongly arrested and thrown in prison, shipwrecked, snake bit, uh, conspiracies to have him arrested, conspiracies to have him assassinated. It's just like one huge problem after another trying to stop Paul from taking the gospel out to the world that he was called to do. But Paul is, he's like the Energizer Bunny. I mean, he, he, just, he just keeps going. No matter what happens, he is so driven. And with all the times that he got knocked down, you just kinda wonder what made him keep getting up and I don't know about you, but I could use a little of that persistence. I could use a little of that perseverance. I could use a little bit of that drive. I think that drive in a lot of areas of our life might really be the key to success because we already have, like we have the know-how, right? We, we know how to follow Jesus. We got the instruction book. We got the model of Jesus. We, we know how, and when we're super motivated and when it's easy, um, you know, we do it. But when it's hard, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we quit. Sometimes we give up. Sometimes we bail. Sometimes it just gets so hard that we just don't have the drive to keep going. It's the drive that's what's missing. It's not knowing how. It, and that's not just true about following Jesus and the really important things. It's even true, that, I mean, there's lots of stuff. There, lots of stuff that I should do and that I want to do and I mean to do and I know how to do that I don't do. Like, I know how to go to the gym five days a week. And I do, except when it's hard. And it's been almost two years since it's not been hard. <laughs> I know how. <laughs> we all know how to lose weight. Right, there's a million diets, they all work if we stay with them. And we do, until we're offered cake, right? Most of us know how to get on top of our finances. Spend less than you make, be generous, stay out of debt. We know how to do it and we, we do it until we feel the urge to buy something new and shiny or until the temptation comes. We do it until it gets hard. Some of us know how to beat an addiction to alcohol or to drugs or to pornography. We, like, we know the steps to take and we might even take some. But then when it gets hard, we stop. The problem is not know-how. The problem is drive. Some of us know how to love our spouses and our families and put them first. We know, we know how to do that, but it's just easier to just kind of coexist. And so when it gets tough, we just stop. We know how to do all this stuff, man. We know how to spend time in the word. We know how to pray. We know how to love each other. We know how to tell people about Jesus, and we do when it's easy. But then sometimes it seems like hard turns into impossible. And, and we just 
get frustrated and we just, we give up. Maybe, maybe it's just me. But in my walk with Jesus, in my habits, in the way I treat people, in my diet, in my finances, in my relationships, I have a tendency to start stuff and, and mean to stay with it, but then it gets hard and something comes up and there's a setback or it takes longer than I thought it was gonna take. And I, you know, I, I, I really, I started it, I meant to succeed, but then when it gets hard, it's just, it's just easier to stop. It's just easier to quit and back down and give up. And so what I'm interested in is where can we get some of this persistence that Paul had? Where can we get some of that perseverance that Paul had? Where can we get some of the drive that Paul had? I mean, why can't we just do like Paul? You know, he, this guy, the drive of this man is crazy. He's constantly, he has these big victories and then just horrible stuff happens and he gets knocked down and he just bounces right back up and starts all over again. I'm gonna show you an example of this. If you're reading Acts, you've seen it a million times, but I'll show you a good little chunk of it right here. This is gonna be in Acts uh, chapter 13. and this, it's happening, man. Paul and Barnabas are out, they're preaching. Jews are getting saved, Gentiles are getting saved. Miracles are happening, amazing, incredible stuff is happening. But then every time it starts happening, somebody comes up against him or something goes wrong. Look, look this, is, this is really interesting. Watch the roller coaster here. This is verse 43, Acts 13, 43. I'll skip around a little bit. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. And the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. Verse 44, the following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear and preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. Verse 50, then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women. <laughs> Here's a tip. <laughs> Don't mess with the influential religious women. (laughs) They stirred up these women and the leader of the city and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. Chapter 14, verse one, the same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue. They were preaching with such power that a great number of Jews and Greeks became believers. But verse five, then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack them and stone them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the towns of Lystra and Derbe, and there they preached the good news. This is their life. This is their life. They go into a town. They preach. Great, amazing things happen, and then something happens. They get thrown in jail. They get beat up. They get attacked by a mob. Something goes wrong. This is their life. Now they've, they finally run away to these towns of Lystra and Derby, which is like Bulverde Spring Branch, right? Uh, and then look at verse 19. Things are happening. The people there love them. People in Lystra and Derby love them. In fact, they're offering sacrifices to them. And Paul's having to say, hey, throttle it back, man. I'm just a man. You know, worship him, not me. So these people are really receiving him. It's really going great. Then look at verse 19. Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium, where they used to be, right, and won the crowds over to their side. And they stoned Paul. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. This is, they, they threw rocks at him until they thought he was dead. The reason they stopped throwing the rocks was they thought he was dead. And they drag him out to the edge of town. Look at verse 20. 
But as the believers gathered around his bloody, beaten, limp body laying on the ground, right? As the believers gathered around him, Paul got up and went back into the town. Why? Don't you feel like just yelling at him like a boxer, stay down? Like, why, why are you doing this? He goes back to the next town, and the next day, he left with Barnabas and went over to Derby. He didn't go to the next town. What, why? What made him do that? And look, look what happens next. After, so now he goes to Derby. It says, verse 21, after preaching the good news in Derby and making a lot of disciples there, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra. That's where they beat him up with the rocks. What is happening? Where is this, this drive coming from? What's making him get up every time? Because that's what we need, right? In our diets, in our exercise program, in our finances, in our relationships, in our study of the word, in our prayer, in our worship, in our following of Jesus. That's what we need. We need some drive. And I have a theory for Paul. I think he was driven by vision. I think Paul was driven by vision. The Bible describes at least six visions that Paul had. Here's the first one I read about it. 2 Corinthians 12, 2. He says, I was caught up in the third heaven 14 years ago. So that was before all this happened. He has this vision. He was caught up into heaven. He didn't even know what was going on. It says, whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know, only God knows. Only God knows whether I was inside my body or outside my body, but I do know that I was caught up to paradise and I heard things so astounding. I heard things so astounding that they can't be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. In this vision, Paul saw things, man. He heard things that were so powerful that they would drive him to go and get up and go again and get up and go again. And I don't, I don't even know what he saw. It doesn't even tell us what he saw. Maybe it was his reward in heaven. I don't know. Maybe it was Jesus saying, well done. He talks about that later. Maybe that's what it was. He saw the vision of Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe his vision was the kingdom of God full of Jews and Gentiles that he had preached to. I don't know what he saw, but he saw something. And he heard something. And he is so focused on that vision being fulfilled that what happens here and now just doesn't seem to matter to him. Paul was driven by his vision. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians 4, 8. Think of the stuff he's talking about. He's talking about being killed with rocks, right? He's talking about being thrown in prison and beaten and whipped. He says, we're pressed on every side by trouble. <laughs> trouble. But we're not crushed. We're perplexed but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We get down, knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Why? Why aren't they destroyed? It's because of this vision. Look what he says. We know that God who has raised Jesus will also raise us with Jesus. So this is his vision, right? And present us to himself together with you. So he can see it. Look at verse 15. All of this is for your benefit, and as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That's his vision, man. 
That's what's driving him. God's grace reaching more and more people. God having more and more glory. That's, that's what keeps him going. And he says so in verse 16. He says, that's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. And I think what's constantly renewing his spirit is this vision. Things too, what did he say? Too astounding to tell. Things that are too beautiful to describe. That's his vision. And that's, what, that's what keeps him going. That's what drives him. And I, I don't know exactly what his vision was, but it must have been awesome. Because it drove him through some impossible situation. Beatings and prison and, and being stoned to death. And I, I want you to look at how he talks about those things that happened to him. And look at verse 17. He says, for our present troubles are small, and they won't last very long. <laughs> the King James uh, Version, he says, these light afflictions, remember that? The light afflictions, oh, these light afflictions. <laughs> they stoned him to death, right? They threw him in jail. They beat him with wooden rods. Imagine six or seven men with wooden rods beating you, and he's, ah, these light afflictions, they're small. And were they small? They're not small. Were these light afflictions? These are not light afflictions, but they seemed light to him because he says they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them. That's why he thinks they're small, right? Here, here's this incredible, horrible thing that's happening to him, but compared to the glory of God, right? Compared to that vision, compared to people coming to know God and experiencing his grace. Com compared to God being glorified, it's like these things seem light now, man. These seem like nothing to him. The vision was just so great that comparatively, these present troubles, these, these present light afflictions seem small. I think that vision is what drove him through the arrests and through the conspiracies and through the stoning and through the imprisonment and through the beatings and I think Sometimes that's what we do wrong. I think that, that, at least I do. We get an idea of what God's calling us to do. But we get so focused on the circumstances around it. We get so focused on how hard it is that we lose sight of the vision. And the vision's what keeps us going. We, the vision is what keeps us going when it's hard. Listen, this is why people put bikini pictures on their fridge. Right? Think about it. Right? This is why we do that. You put that picture up there and you go for one more cookie or something and you start to open it and you see that picture and you go, oh no, I'm gonna do that. Yeah, there's the vision, right? And you close that door and say no to temptation in Jesus' name. You know, a lot of people have asked me the secret to my amazing physique. And uh, I'll just share how this came to be. I'll show you the picture that I used to have on my fridge. There it is. And the problem is now that I've achieved that, yeah, I have to have a new picture. And I'm gonna get one because the vision is what drives us. It's what, it's what drove Paul. He, lots of visions, man. Here, look at this other one. This is at the, almost at the end of the thing. It's Acts chapter 23. Look at this vision. God gives Paul this vision and I want you to see how it drives him. Uh, 2311, that night the Lord appeared to Paul and he said, be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. So now Paul has a vision that he's gonna preach the good news in Rome 
And as you can guess, after that, there were a few more light afflictions. Right? There were a couple of conspiracies to kill him. He was attacked by a couple more mobs. He was jerked around in the courts a lot. But Paul is driven by this vision to preach in Rome. Um, he gets sent to Caesarea for a trial with the Jewish leaders. He gets slapped in the face in court. But Paul is driven by this vision to preach in Rome. He appears before a guy named Felix, who is like a governor. He's like an appeals court kind of a thing. He goes before Felix and... Felix kept him in prison for two years, hoping that he would get a bribe out of the deal. Two years he was in prison. But Paul didn't give up. He's driven by this vision of preaching in Rome. Uh, finally, Felix dies or gets voted out of office or left town or something and was replaced by a guy named Festus. And now Paul's thinking, finally, I'm gonna get out of jail right after two years. But Festus was trying to like suck up to the Jews that hated Paul, so he just left him in prison. What a kick in the face is that, right? What, what a setback is that? Two years in prison, this guy gets out of office, and now you think, finally, I'm getting out of here, and no, you're just gonna stay right there in prison. He, but he just keeps on going. He's driven by this vision. He is going to preach in Rome. So he appeals to Caesar. He finally gets a hearing with a king named Agrippa. And Agrippa basically says, this dude's innocent, man. He hasn't done anything. But because of a technicality, they decided to ship him off to the Supreme Court anyway, to stand before Caesar. And guess where that's going to happen? Rome. So it's like, oh, finally, you know, finally he's going to get to preach in Rome. And the vision is going to happen. But there were a few more light afflictions. So he got in a shipwreck or his boat fell apart and everybody thought they were gonna die and they all tried to swim and survive and just keep from dying in the storm and they ended up on the island of Malta. And it, I mean, it just seemed like one thing, he's never gonna get there, he's never gonna get there, but man, he is, he's driven by this vision. He is going to preach in Rome. On Malta, he gets bitten by a poisonous snake. I mean, I have to say, for me, that's it, right? I'm out. Beatings, I'm whatever. That's prison, whatever. Mobs attacking me, beat me with a wooden rod. Uh, maybe I keep going. A snake bite, I'm out. But not Paul. He is driven by this vision, man. He is going to preach in Rome. He's stuck on that island for three more months. And then finally they arrange another boat. And in Acts 28, 14, it says, and so we came to Rome. Verse 30 says, for the next two years, Paul lived in Rome. He welcomed everyone that visited him and he boldly proclaimed the kingdom of God and, teach, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ and no one tried to stop him. The vision was fulfilled. So many roadblocks, man, so many setbacks, so many things went wrong. So many things took longer than they were supposed to. So many things got hard. So many things went from hard to impossible, but every defeat, every conspiracy, every beating tried to knock him off the path, but he just kept going. And I, I'm telling you, he was driven by his vision. Vision drives people. Vision keeps us going. Vision sustains us when it's hard. Vision encourages us when it's impossible. And some people will say, oh, no, I don't need that because I'm strong, right? I got incredible self-discipline got incredible self-discipline. But I would suggest to you that vision is stronger than self-discipline. I would suggest to you that no matter how much willpower you think you have, vision is stronger 
than your willpower. And I can prove it. Supposing I had a 12 inch wide plank, like a diving board, right? A 12 inch wide plank, and it's like six inches, I mean it's sturdy. And let's just say I laid it across the stage up here. So I don't know, 30 feet, 40 feet, where this is. And I laid it across here and I said, hey, I want you to come up and walk all the way across that without falling off. Think you could do it? Everybody's just scared to say yes because you think I'm fixing to make you, right? Just <laughs> imagine, right? Could you do it? Yes. Of course you could do it, it's easy. It's 12 inches wide, you're not gonna fall off of there. In fact, as you're going, you're probably gonna be like talking trash to me, right? <laughs> this is nothing, right? While you're walking across, eh, it's easy. You'll be turning a little pirouette and all that showing off because it's so easy for you because you have incredible willpower and so strong self-discipline, but that's not why you're doing it. It's because of your vision. Because in your mind, you're seeing yourself walk across there, talking trash to me, dancing around as you get across. That's what you're seeing in your head. So supposing I then took that same plank and I took you to downtown Manhattan and I put it 50 stories up between two buildings. Think you could do it now? Board is just as strong. You're just as strong. Your willpower is just as strong. But now instead of your vision being talking trash to me, your vision is you splatting on a taxi a thousand feet below you, right? Vision is stronger than willpower. Vision is better than self-discipline. When everything starts falling apart, and when things get really hard, when we just don't have the willpower, when it's just too hard, when the hard turns into impossible, we can keep going if we have the vision. So, what vision has God given you? Is it to be closer to Jesus? Is it to understand the word? Is it to experience him in worship or to be part of his plan or to get involved in ministry? Is he giving you a vision of being a better husband or a better wife or a better parent or a better friend? Has he given you a vision of getting on top of your health or your finances? Instead of just constantly trying and failing and trying harder and failing bigger and trying harder and failing even bigger, maybe we should try what worked for Paul. Don't depend on your willpower. Ask God to give you a clear vision through his word, through the model of Christ, through his spirit. Ask God to give you a clear vision of where he wants you to go and how he wants you to live and who he wants you to be. Get a vision in your head of being there and doing that and becoming that. Get a vision in your head of Jesus looking you in the eye someday and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Get that vision in your head and just ask God to like burn that vision into your mind and make it clear and make it vivid like it was for Paul. Right? Take a mental picture of that and, and you know, stick that on the mental fridge of your brain. Right? Let that be the, the screensaver of your mind and see it and focus on it and allow yourself to imagine what it would be like if that vision were fulfilled. And then when light afflictions come, as they will, when you're tempted to give up, you'll be like Paul and those troubles will seem small compared 
to the glory of God compared to the vision that he's given you. And just like Paul, you'll be able to stand up and move forward and see the vision fulfilled. Amen? Okay, so the worship team's gonna come up now for communion. We're gonna spend a little time on this today. It was a super short sermon, so don't start checking your watches. We will beat the Methodist to the restaurant, and that's what really matters. Listen, communion is about remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's, what it, that's why we do it. We do it in remembrance of him, right? That's why we do it. And I want to ask you to think about this. Consider what Jesus did for us on the cross. So don't watch them. Listen, listen. Consider what Jesus did on the cross. Consider what that day looked like. Consider what that day was. Consider what he felt and thought and went through. Talk about setbacks, right? He was, it's the worst torture in history, right? He was betrayed and beaten and tortured and nailed to a cross. Do you ever wonder what kept him going? When they were doing that horrible stuff to him and his best friends were running away from him, do you ever wonder what kept him going? And I think it was his vision. So I want you to look at how Isaiah described all this 700 years before it happened. This is Isaiah 53 too. It says there, were not, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. There was nothing to attract us to him. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrow that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sin. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. And we've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, but he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, like a sheep is silent before the shears. He didn't even open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. And no one cared that he died without descendants and that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. He never deceived anyone. And yet he was buried like a criminal, put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. And he will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. Because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. As Jesus was pierced and whipped and spit on and mocked and tortured to death, he had this vision of what would be accomplished by all this, that many would be counted righteous. That was his vision that us, that you and I would be made righteous. 
So when it was hard, when it was unbearable for him, he, was, he had his mind on this vision. And this vision was our righteousness. This vision was that people like us could spend forever with him in God's kingdom. And when literally all hell broke loose for Jesus, what drove him was his vision. And his vision was of you.